Hello and welcome to an OU Law School podcast. In this episode, I have a talk with Emma Jones, who is a senior lecturer here at the law school. She has a fascinating insight into emotion, well-being and the law, so I really enjoyed this talk and I hope that you will too. I recorded this episode a while back, so for a more up-to-date information on Emma's research, you can visit the law school's website. In July, the law school will also be launching its celebration of the 50 years of the Open University. We have some interesting stuff coming your way, so watch this space in July. I'm Emma Jones, I'm a lecturer in the law school and my research interests around the role of emotion and well-being in legal education and the legal profession. Um, what does your research involve? So my research really began because I was a solicitor in practice and then I moved to do a PGCE to become a, a teacher and one of the things they asked you to do was reflect on how you'd been taught and how you'd worked and it kind of made me realise that in law you're taught to think in a very particular way sometimes it's called thinking like a lawyer mm-hmm. and it's about a certain sort of being rational and objective and basically disregarding or suppressing any sort of emotional content or element especially this is very important when it comes to judgment in issuing judgments or advice um, that you're supposed to distance yourself from everything and everybody and just think about the main the syllogism right this is the main premise to law this is the facts and this is the outcome of it yeah and it's seen as is really logical and it's seen as certainly in western societies that's seen as the approach that is the right approach to take when you're dealing with law and obviously in some situations it is right to be uh, objective and to have a certain type of rationality involved. But equally, there was quite a lot of evidence that this was impacting on the well-being of both law students and <laughs> legal professionals. And that actually there are lots of reasons that, that their well-being could be perhaps be a little bit lower than it should be. But one of the reasons could be around this thinking like a lawyer. And that by training people to suppress and disregard their emotions, they weren't able to deal with their emotion in a very healthy way. Mm-hmm. And this was impacting on them all the way down the line from studying law right through to when they practised law. Right. And um, last week, was it? Or a week before that, we had an interesting uh, seminar. Give us, uh, um, Emma gave an interesting talk about the way that OU students actually deal with stress when it comes to the, um, the law course. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so with two of my colleagues from Wells who have backgrounds in psychology, we um, did some work with our level three law students and Mm -hmm. we sent out a survey which applied certain what you'd call standardised measures, so the depression, anxiety and stress scale and the World Health Organisation measure of well-being and we also asked some questions Mm -hmm. and then we went and did some focus groups with around 50 students talking about well-being and it was really interesting to see the results there because obviously the majority of law students they had good levels of well-being they weren't unduly stressed or anxious or depressed but there were a significant number who did have some issues around well-being and mental health and from the focus group some of the reasons that came out from that were around the fact that as distance learners sometimes they didn't feel very connected to those people around them and sometimes the idea that law does have this certain status and this certain way of thinking Mm -hmm. involved in it and obviously this was just a snapshot of some level three students at one point in the studies and I'm not suggesting (laughs) that it, it would necessarily be replicated but it was an interesting starting point because 
although there's been a huge amount of work in the US and Australia on well-being in relation to law students and legal professionals, there's been a lot less done in the UK, so we're really almost starting from scratch on that. Um, and how does this relate with um, the stress that happens in the legal profession? Um, it is, a, a lot of the times, lawyers or the legal profession is associated with high levels of stress in work. Um, it's compared to um, the medical profession where there's a, a high instance of substance abuse, of um, suicides, depression, etc., etc. Um, so how does, how does law square into that? I think um, there are a number of factors that can cause issues with well-being and mental health amongst legal professionals. And some of those, uh, a lot of them actually are more cultural and structural rather mm-hmm. than about the particular individuals involved. So the majority of legal work in the UK is kind of corporate commercial. And there's been a lot of arguments recently that law is basically becoming a business and right. it's very commercialised. And some of that importance of values and that importance of professionalism has kind of been lost about along the way and there's a huge amount of focus on profit so as a solicitor for example every day I had to bill in six minute units and I had to be able to bill seven uh, six out of seven hours worth of time per day and that was my target and I think that's fairly standard it might well have gone up now so there's a lot of pressure on people to to keep billing in these six-minute units to meet their targets, to go out marketing and find new clients and to, um, you know, retain those clients. And I think one of the issues is it's very competitive to work Mm -hmm. in the legal profession. And so at the end of the day, sometimes that can lead to people being seen almost as disposable because, you know, bigger firms might know that actually, yeah, if this person burns out, we can get another one. There are, you know, 10 people queuing up for a job yes. here. So those kind of cultural issues are very important in law. And I think they're also the most difficult issues to change in a sense. There, there was, um, there's a Freakonomics um, uh, sort of article on um, how academia in the U.S. is becoming more like a drug gang in the sense that it, it only works with the people on top or is in the U.S. to those with uh, tenures. And it, it, what you're explaining to me with the legal profession is it seems like it works for the partners in the big commercial law firms, but not for those in the bottom. Um, and that once you're there, you make a huge amount of profit, but for those in the middle or in the bottom, it's not that, uh, that both that secure or so rosy. Um, I should just say, though, it doesn't work for quite a lot of mm-hmm. partners as well. If, <laughs> if you see, you know, there will be partners who suffer with a lot of issues. Um, you know, people are very focused on getting promotion in, in the legal profession. But actually, I think you could argue it doesn't really work on any level, having mm-hmm. that, those kind of pressures involved. OK, so my, my, my moment of inspiration is gone. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> um, let's get back to emotion and emotion in law. So um, um, I've been thinking about our talks that we have lately. is, um, And it seems to me that there are at least two ways in which which emotion and law interact. So one is at the point of making the law, right? So the, the emotional moment of, let's say, in Parliament and voting and the discussion that comes around it. And another area in which um, law is when it comes out, which is the outcomes, um, and how much of the outcomes are influenced by emotions. And we're supposed to think that both of those 
have no input of emotion at all, not in the making of the of the of the law, and not in definitely not in the dispensing of the law, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, we seem to find more research that um, supports that says that no, and uh, emotion and law are intertwined. Is, so, is there something you can tell us more about that? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely right. I think the problem is when you say you study law and emotion, mm -hmm. people kind of think if you bring emotion in, there's going to be people crying all over the place, wailing all over the place. <laughs> you know, it's a kind of let everything out kind of thing. And that's not what we're talking about. No. What we're talking about is all the scientific evidence suggests that actually emotion and reason aren't two separate entities. They're actually in intertwined. So emotion is going to impact on your ways of thinking, your ways of reasoning, what you would call your logic, what you would call your rationality so you have to really take account of that and if you ignore that and say no that's not right then actually you're actually ignoring a big part of what's happening whereas if you kind of take and ownership you ignore a large of that, part of human beings exactly if you take ownership of that and say yes there is emotion involved we need to look at this emotion we need to unpack how it's involved what impact it's having is it having a healthy influence is it actually skewing our thinking on this if we work with emotion like that it's a much more nuanced and sophisticated way of dealing with it, which is much more in tune with the science, and mm -hmm. I would say a lot of the philosophy around emotion as well. And we shouldn't forget that it's not like suddenly all of us became emotional, right? Uh, since the 1990s or whatever. No, it's that emotions have been part of law since its beginning, since its obsession, because it's made by human beings and it's part of human life. So all of a sudden to start you know, sort of panicking about where law is heading is it's superfluous. This is about us knowing more about how law works rather than, I don't know, saying that, oh, now we have to be emotional, we have to include emotion into law. No, it's all already has is in there, right? Exactly. And I, I would recommend to people, if they want to read a bit more about that, mm -hmm. Susan Bandes is kind of the mother of the law and emotion movement, and she wrote... Well, she pulled together an edited collection in 1999 called The Passions of Law, which really illustrates that well. But if you take it to my research and legal education, mm -hmm. people say, well, what role has emotion got? And I'd say, well, it's, it's there already. It's not that emotion isn't part of it. It's part of it in the fact that the way people learn involves their emotions you know the students well-being involves emotions the well-being of the teachers how they teach that involves emotions there is emotion there on every single level it's just that it tends to be ignored right what's going to be in the future for your research well, at the moment, I'm working on um, a book for Routledge about emotion and legal education. I'm also working with a couple of colleagues on another book, which is particularly about therapeutic legal pedagogy. Mm -hmm. So this is the idea that we should be designing a curriculum for law that actually explicitly deals with well-being and factors that into not just as an extra with maybe a little workshop or a, a couple of web, web links but actually factors it into the way we're teaching and our teaching methods and the content that we're involving as well so it would be lovely to think that might have some real impact at some stage also working with a charity at the moment to help them design some online resources aimed at legal practitioners but more importantly at the wider legal community so the employers the regulators people like that to hopefully raise awareness of issues of emotion and well-being as well okay um so how would that impact um the way that we teach 
um, law, for instance, you always uh, you you've, you've written before that thinking like a, law, a lot of the time that we spend teaching law is to to get people to think like lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you also pointed out that not everybody wants to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. right? Not not the, it's not a career path that everybody who graduates law gets to be a lawyer, um, and that's fine. So, what changes would that bring to the curriculum, right, or the way that we teach law? I think, and, and I agree that not everyone wants to be a lawyer, and I don't think law degrees should be aimed at mm-hmm. teaching people to be lawyers. They're only the first step, and in, in fact, with all the changes that are coming in for many branches of the legal profession, they won't even be a necessary step. So I think people have got to appreciate law as a really interesting and diverse subject. But in terms of well-being... I think that you could start from the very very beginning. When people start at a university, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's coming along to the Open University online, they obviously have a lot of anxieties, a lot of questions, maybe feeling very excited, maybe very happy that they're achieving this ambition as well. But in terms of the way we have an induction for students and how we, we talk to them about, actually, yeah, you're, you know, this might impact on your well-being. You need to mm-hmm. look after yourself physically. You need to look after yourself mentally. And then as we go through, for example, you can look at some quite sensitive subjects in law. You can look at things like abortion. You can look at the right to die all these different issues and just to kind of make students aware that actually you might find some of this difficult but how are you going to deal with it what emotions are you feeling about this how are you going to work through them is it a healthy way just to try and ignore them and shove them in a cupboard or is it better to actually think it through and think how that's influencing your approach to law so I think it can be intertwined in every single subject in the legal curriculum and I think it's important that we do that so to take an example of something like contract law Mm -hmm. which probably seems quite far apart from anything to do with emotion but if you think of those cases I was a construction lawyer so we did technical contracts but often people were very invested in those cases because it was about their livelihood there was a certain amount of embarrassment or a feeling of injustice there was loads of emotions involved Mm -hmm. and there's lots of movements around contracting now about different ways of contracting about relational contracting about conscious contracting about bringing in these ideas of values and in some senses acknowledging these issues of emotion that are involved in it so even this kind of possibly some people would see as a bit dry subject there's still that emotive content there's still that emotional value in there that we can unpack okay um so i when you when you mention the way the topics that actually go into law and the, the things that the students face it reminded me that when i was I was teaching at the Central European University, I was teaching international criminal law. Um, and if you know something about the student body of the, the Central European University, um, it's, it's made up of students who come from either um, uh, from all over the world and some of them come from post-conflict societies. Um, and when you teach international criminal law, you have to be um, aware that sometimes some of your students might actually have gone through a conflict who might actually be victims of conflict. Um, and that, and when you design your curriculum, so for instance, let's say today we're going to talk about uh, victim participation in international criminal tribunals, and it, it, it occurs to me that some of them might actually have that experience. And um, I was thinking, what would my role or duties as a teacher be to aid both um, 
make this horrible topic into something that isn't uh, re-traumatization, right? Um, and something that uh, the people who who are not from a conflict society know how this um, impacts and works on them. Um, so I've had to think a lot about that of of what are the possible landmines in my teaching? What are the, what places should I go? Shouldn't I go? What are places that must be taught, um, even though they're traumatic, and then to somehow somehow I help my students go through it. Um, and now that I have somebody who actually deals with these things, what would your suggestion be um, in things like this? I think I think some of it comes down to the you could phrase it as emotional intelligence or mm-hmm. emotional literacy of the person doing the teaching and having to pick through and you've obviously done that you've been very sensitive around the kind of needs of students and around the kind of materials and it might be something that it, you can deal with openly in the in the classroom and explain that there is this issue i think also a point that's often made is, is you know, a law lecturer or law tutor isn't necessarily a counsellor. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily have that background and training. But then what they can do is know where to signpost people onto. So there will be other sources of help and support out there. And it's about being aware of those and having a sense of when a student will need those and being able to provide those as well. Okay. Um, so does the Open University have something like that? The Open University, if you look, um, the Open University Students Association Mm -hmm. pages have some really good links around wellbeing and mental health, and I think you can access them via Student Home. They also subscribe to Nightline, which is a a form of telephone support service for people who need it. And um, there is a lot of work going on at the moment and a lot of understanding and acknowledgement of, of the role that mental health plays, and I think it's becoming much not just in the Open University, but overall in the UK, it's becoming much more on people's agenda and university's agenda. Mm-hmm. Since this is, we're talking about your research, um, can you tell me a little bit about, let's say you talked to yourself five, seven years ago, what suggestions would you give to yourself as a young researcher? I, I would or say... Or a younger researcher, sorry. <laughs> I, w- I would say do choose a topic that you are genuinely interested in. Because I, I did my PhD and for various reasons it probably took me around six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And there were times that I just felt so fed up I didn't want to look at it ever again. But because I did really genuinely feel passionate about it, I did always go back to it and finally managed to complete it. I would also say also be organised and don't take six or seven years if you can help <laughs> it if you're doing a PhD, but that sometimes happens. I think the other Life thing, takes over. It, it certainly does. And I think the other thing is just to take advantage of opportunities. So I had been teaching and I wanted to do a PhD and I didn't really know where to start. And I went mm-hmm. to Google and just Googled Legal Education UK and found a supervisor that way and it took a bit of courage to kind of email them out of the blue but actually they took on my idea and and this lady was my supervisor now she's a kind of mentor and a friend to me and as I've been in academia I found you get offered a a range of opportunities and sometimes you kind of think oh I don't think I'm I'm ready for that I don't Mm -hmm. think that's me but if you just try it's amazing what what happens and what comes from it. Um, I also have would have one other suggestion personally for me is do not be afraid to cut 
from your PhD thesis. Um, practice your writing if you're going to write. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a skill, uh, it's a craft, and you can do it only by practicing. So don't be afraid of writing, don't be afraid of editing, um, cut as much as you want, be passionate about what you're doing, um, and yeah, um, sometimes life, life takes over. Change your plans. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you come back for the next episode on the Law School's Research. You can find out more about us on our website. Don't forget to tune in in July when we start our celebration of the OU's 50th birthday. The music in the background is called Dirty Mac by Endless Love. Take care, and I hope to see you again.